Welcome to the WriterFest podcast, where we celebrate writers of book, song, and film. Those magical, mysterious minds who pen the books we read, the songs we sing along to, and the shows and films we binge. I'm your host, Amy McConnell, publishing veteran, book doctor, and author. On this episode of WriterFest podcast, we're joined by the talented Patty Callahan Henry. We talk about her latest hit, Surviving Savannah, and the enormously popular podcast that she co-hosts, Friends in Fiction. We love on the low country a little bit and talk about growing as a writer, specifically how writing historical fiction changed Patty. We discuss ways we connect and why we read. And she gives us some great writing tips. I love this conversation and really didn't want it to end. I hope you'll enjoy it as much as I did. Welcome to the Writer Fest podcast. Thank you so much. We're so glad you're here. I love being here. I wish you were physically here. Someday soon. Someday <laughs> Where are soon. you? Right now I am in right now I'm in Birmingham, Alabama, where I live. Well, you live there part-time, right? Aren't you sometimes? Yes. We sometimes are in Bluffton, South Carolina, but this is where we live, live, where my kids went to high school, my son lives here, my husband's job is here. So this is my job like yours, Amy. We can do almost anywhere, but yes, that's this fun. is home. But I don't get to go to South Carolina, home of many beaches and Pat Conroy and all the good goodness that you get to do periodically, which is awesome. So I was kind of hoping for your sake that you were there drinking in that salty air. The low country. I love it. Do we capitalize low country or not? Yes, I do. We do. I do. I do. I do. And some people make it two words and some people make it one word. So when I write it, it's all one word with a capital L. See, I think that's appropriate because, you, you know, I, I don't know if you remember this, but I actually grew up in Charleston, outside of Charleston in Somerville. And I think the all one word with a capital letter mm-hmm. is appropriate because it's kind of like, it's almost like a deity pronoun. <laughs> like, I get, I love that, a deity pronoun. I am stealing that. That's awesome. <laughs> it it's shows true. the sort of gravitas around it. It's not just an adjective with a noun. It is... A place. <laughs> yes, it is a place. That's funny. Yes. And I love it very much. But no, right now I am not there. Well, Birmingham right here, I'm is talking a great to you. place to be. I love yes. Birmingham too. Yep. So, so but do I. I am actually in downtown Franklin. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so I'm not actually in Nashville. I'm in downtown Franklin at the moment in the podcast studio. I consider Franklin and Nashville one in the same I know they're different, but to me, they're lumped together in this just beautiful, creative sense of place, those two things. I am with you. I agree in, in, in some ways. That said, Parnassus, the Parnassus team was over here in the podcast studio a few days ago, and they were like, where are we? <laughs> oh, that's funny. It's literally, it's like 20 minutes down the road. No, I mean, they were just kind of teasing, but it just, it's somewhat in another, you know, for them, it felt like a world away, um, oh, even though it's just a, a few minutes down the road. But um, because it is a different, it's a little different vibe. Um, but uh, it's all that sort of Nashville vibe that sort of inspired Writer Fest, which is a creative community. You know, with all this influx of 
a writerly people who um, write songs and films and books. So yeah, so you always fit in when you're here. I always feel like it's a bit of a second home. I love it there. Well, we miss you when you're not around. Um, I woke up this morning so excited to chat with you. And I was thinking about all these books that I'd read of yours and was thinking about the characters and revisiting those. And I was I had all these questions kind of bent, bing, binging around in my brain. And I went to go write them down in my on my laptop. This was, you know, hours ago when I woke up. And I was like, oh, well, I'm going to pull up her longer bio and kind of just see what she's been up to lately. And I was like, oh, I kind of had a brain freeze. <laughs> like, Patty has done so much in the last few years. And it just made me kind of go, wow, how, how has all of this happened? I mean, I've been trying to keep up with the books that you've written, but you have done so much in the last... I guess it's been maybe six or seven years since we first met. It's been amazing, right? Well, the last three have been um, unexpectedly busy because during the lockdown, which started, you know, in March of 2020, I had a book that was coming out that was already finished. And then I had one I was working on and then during the lockdown, four other writer pals of mine and I started Friends in Fiction. So, and I was doing a podcast for Becoming Mrs. Lewis. And I was doing a podcast on behind the scenes of Surviving Savannah. And it all just kind of culminated in this two-year crazy pileup, like, all at once. But what it might look like I'm doing a lot all at once, but what makes it easier to remember is they're each done in their own bite-sized pieces. So Surviving Savannah was already done when COVID hit. I wrote Once Upon a Wardrobe while I was in lockdown. So it comes out in this same calendar year as that book. I wrote two novellas during that time, One for a compilation and then one about Florence Nightingale that was an Audible original. And then the podcast. And the name, you didn't didn't give us those names. And I I know them, but will you make sure you tell listeners? The the one about Florence Nightingale is the, The Swan. Wild Swan. And that is an Audible original. And it is read by this astounding singer, named Cynthia Aravo, who won a Tony for The Color Purple. And she reads it. It's amazing. And then Reunion Beach is a compilation anthology of short stories that honors Dorothea Benton Frank, as we lost her a few years ago. And so these no- the novels and the short stories and the podcasts and Friends in Fiction, it looks like a lot. Even y'all were describing it. I'm like, wait, you're right, Amy. It's a lot. But at the same time, they were done. You know, what is that phrase? You know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time, right? And Lamotte, bird by bird. You do this, and then you do this, and then you do this. And it is unusual that it all hit at once. But I think it's happened to you, too, because... Although the pandemic has shut us down, it has opened new avenues for different ways of communicating, like we're doing right now. 
um, talking to each other. I know that listeners can't see us, but we are looking at each other while we're doing this. And that opening up during the pandemic of new ways to communicate started Friends in Fiction, started some of what you're doing. So they're natural outgrowths of things we were already doing. Mm. Oh, that's so wonderfully put. I love it. You're absolutely right. And I think it's interesting that I was feeling pre-pandemic a little bit like the world was asking too much of me. It was asking me to communicate too much too quickly, and I wasn't able to collect my thoughts. I wasn't able to go to the mountaintop, if you will, to have anything worth sharing. And it was really kind of scaring the crap out of me, honestly. And I think there was a little bit of a gift in in that lockdown, as you say, to kind of give us space to go, do I even want to connect with other people, honestly? And then the answer for, for you, I know, and for, for me was, yes, I really do want to connect with people with intention and for purpose and, and for good. Um, and then the question just becomes like, then how, you know, and I was devastated to not do Writer Fest last year. I will just say it was so hard for me not to gather with other writers and support people last year. But in a way, it was a gift because it really, it really reminded me of the hunger in the first place. What is that hunger? And what will satisfy that hunger? And for me, it, it's really um, invigorated my energy around that for sure, as well as sort of around communicating in the written form. Oh, I think you nailed it because there wasn't a single person in my kind of inner realm who didn't kind of, yes, we were all panicked and, and yes, it was incredibly difficult and still is. And we've lost people we love. And, and, but on the whole, you would hear over and over again, I'm a little bit relieved that these 97 things got canceled. Now I was devastated. My becoming Mrs. Lewis paperback tour was canceled. And yes, I was devastated. That was really hard, not hard compared to death and illness, but um, there was a reassessment that went on. And what hit me was exactly what you're talking about, which is this idea that I wanted to keep connecting, which is why I was on the road. But maybe there are better ways to do it. Maybe if we just sit still for a minute and go back to the page, which you and I both know is where it all begins, and then it grows from there, right? Because the power of story is why we all do what we do. It's why we write. It's why you have Writers Fest. It's why we podcast. I mean, just made podcast a verb, by the way. It's why we, it's why we do, do all these things that we do. And, and that shutdown maybe allowed us to sit still and say, how can we do it better? Right. Because it did matter. We weren't saying yes to book tours and to festivals and to, to gatherings because we were maniacs. We did it because being connected over the written word was important to us. So how do we keep doing that without overextending ourselves so that the well is dry? Mm. Or you can't come back from the mountaintop in your metaphor. But for me, it's about 
a well being dry, where you're giving so much that then how do you write a story? What matters anymore? I remember so, talking to, if I may, I could. I love a good metaphor. And I remember talking to my friend Jana Reese at a conference one time. Do you know Jana from Publishers Weekly? She said, um, I worry sometimes that the bread is getting baked before the dough rises. Oh, I love that. And I thought, oh, gee, wow, that is so good. Um, I mean, we could talk about what that looks like for days, but um, but it gave me Jana's words reminded me to sometimes let things sit for a while so they can rise. Um, so also, there's a to, to extend our metaphors even further. There is this great metaphor I read recently that made me laugh. It's Irish, I think, and it said, "You spend so much time chasing the cows instead of building the fence." And isn't that great? Just this idea that we're running around fixing this and fixing that and doing this and doing that when all we had to do was build the fence and the cows will stay in the, don't have to chase them. And I think maybe some of this downtime allowed some of that. Well, let me pull back just to say, so I've when I look at your career, it does not look like you have had any downtime. So um, it just looks like you've been super productive. So I'm glad for myself and for the listeners to learn that it has been one bite at a time, one bird at a <laughs> one bird one by bird one bird. bird. That's that's really um, good for me to hear. And I will also say that I knew about you when I first met you. Um, I guess that's been like uh, six, seven, eight years ago, I knew when I met you, she is one of the hardest working authors that I have ever met. And that said, you know, and I mean that absolutely as a compliment, you work really hard at the business part of it. That said, I read you after having met you and realizing that woman works really hard. I read you and thought she's also one of the deepest women oh, that I know. thank you. And I felt like the gift to me, and this was 2014-ish, the gift to me was that your books reflected a kind of a an on-the-page friendship that, you know, between me and the book, right? I felt like I had a really smart best friend who was revealing her intimate secrets to me on the page. So it was like that I almost didn't want to share the books with my friends because I felt like this is, you know, it, it, it felt like it was a special um, camaraderie on the page. Those, those, um, those women's contemporary books. Uh, you have a really beautiful gift of being, uh, making your characters feel really vulnerable and smart and like they're, blossoming or, or kind of um, busting out of their previous shells um, into a new woman, which I, those are, those are the kinds of characters that I love um, that I'm really attracted to on the page. And it was, it was so fun for me to, to kind of go, Oh, she does this every single time without fail. Every one of her books does this for me, brings me a new girlfriend who's really cool and interesting that I can follow her life. And I think that you have such a great gift for that. That said, I've been following you ever since, and I've been reading you ever since, and your work has kind of morphed. You still kind of have those characters who are very vibrant women with very 
active intellectual, and intellectual sounds dry, and I don't mean to make it that way. Um, they're just intelligent women um, who are very in, in sort of a place of transition, but the, um, the scope of the work has gotten so much um, sort of grander and more, um, there's more sort of like gravitas around it or something. I don't know. Something has really shifted and in, 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 on a tectonic level and such that I stopped feeling like I was keeping this like secret to myself, which is ridiculous because you're a New York Times bestseller, obviously. But I started saying to my husband, have you read Patty's new book? Oh, and so to, you know, men at dinner parties or um, complete strangers, like, have you read this new book? And um, feeling like it's at a different level. What is that? Tell me, <laughs> I'm trying to explain my own experience reading your work. Oh, There's it's something so happening. What is that? to hear you talk about the gradual um, shift that you had as a reader. Well, I understand the gradual shift I had as a writer. So to hear it from your experience is fascinating. Um, what happened? Well, hopefully I grew as a writer because that's our hope. I mean, I'm on book 16 or 17 now and I never want to write the same thing over and over. You know, I don't want you to say, I've quit reading her because I know exactly what I'm going to get as, as story-wise. Hopefully, you know you're going to get a good story. And I am indebted and um, obsessed with story. I have been for all my life. So wanting to constantly analyze understand, expand, in your words, grander, deeper. I That was a very deliberate goal of mine as I felt like the story might serve it or I might serve the story. So where you probably felt the change was after becoming Mrs. Lewis because that was my first historical novel. And historical just almost by definition, means grander and bigger because you're sweeping across time instead of staying in present time. And, and many of my novels took place over one summer or two weeks in modern contemporary times. But when you're doing a historical novel, there is this grand, grander sweep because we have to look at the place we have to look at the time. We have to look at the values and the morals that were very different in even 1950, 1940 than they are today. So Becoming Mrs. Lewis was set in the late 1940s to the early 1960s. Surviving Savannah is set in 1838 and in modern day. Obviously, Wild Swan is set in the 1800s England, and the new one, Once Upon a Wardrobe, is set in 1950 in Oxford and Worcester, England. And just by definition, that gives it a grander scale because we're looking at different ways of being than what we're accustomed to now. So I don't know if that's what you're feeling, but also... In Becoming Mrs. Lewis, writing about a woman like Joy Davidman, who was so complex that no matter my imagination, I'm not creating a character as complex as she is. 
And I think she, no, I know that she has allowed me in my writing to be braver, Mm -hmm. to be more complex, to show the dark with the light, to not be so afraid to show the bad motivate, not even bad, the darker motivations in our human nature or the choices we make that hurt others. And I was avoiding a lot of that in my contemporary fiction because I wanted my characters to be nice. Mm -hmm. I wanted you to like them. And Joy showed me, gave me permission. I want to give that some air. That is so interesting. Yeah. And Joy, because she had an actual storyline that bore those things out, and you would be lying if you didn't show those things, that was giving you permission to go there to to make those choices. <gasps> That's Even in my completely imagined characters. So there was a time, there was a very specific choice that Joy Davidman made, made that I didn't like and most of my readers don't like. I hear about it, trust me. And I wanted to leave it out. And I didn't. It was almost as if I heard her say, you get all of me or you get none of me, mm-hmm. right? And in you get all of me or you get none of me, you got all of her. And I got the letters about the all of her because so many people wanted her to be perfect because she was C.S. Lewis's wife. They didn't want her to have made mistakes or done some of the things she did or struggled mainly with the things she struggled with. But guess what? They're the same things we all struggle with today. And it's not 1948. So she gave me permission to not only do that with her, but then take that forward in in the humanity of my imagined characters or my real characters. And if you need to see what's really going on, you've got to see both sides. You've got to see the light and the dark and the sorrow and the struggle. And even in Once Upon a Wardrobe, we see these seven events in C.S. Lewis's life that you can find in Narnia. And some of them are really, really hard. And you don't want to know or wouldn't like to think that he maybe felt that way or went through that or um, was human in that way. And so maybe that's what you're feeling. That was a very roundabout way of trying to figure that out. So, so good. I love it. What a gift to the world. I, yes, I think you've, you have reflected back the truth to me. I, I see what you're saying because I can remember reading Becoming Mrs. Lewis and feeling like, um, I, I, kind of, I forgot about you, Patty. I completely good. forgot about you. And I was feeling like, I'm so glad I know this woman. I'm so glad I know Joy, which... I, I feel I do. I feel I, I do. I hope you do. I hope um, you do. I hope. I, I know I, when I meet her someday, she will go, we know each other. Yeah. <laughs> because of Patty. So thank you for that. Friends, let me tell you if you don't already know about Thistle Farms. It's a social justice enterprise that provides healing, housing, and employment for women survivors of trafficking, prostitution, and addiction. The way they employ survivors while also funding their mission 
is by selling beautiful lotions, scrubs, candles, I love the candles, and essential oils that are handmade by the women in their program. The products are incredible and they're the perfect way to make conscious purchases of practical items like hand soap and their thoughtful gifts. So use the code WRITERFEST, all one word, for 15% off at thistlefarms.org. And that offer expires at the end of 2021. read Surviving Savannah, I felt like there, it was a, almost a bigger chunk, um, in the bigger elephant to eat. If going back to your metaphor, I thought, how is she going to do this? How is this even doable? Um, cause that, cause that's the editor part of my brain that is a cynic and a skeptic a little bit. Um, but then I, 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 I took the leap of faith with you and started to go on that ride and went, we're doing this. We, we, we are shipwrecked. There is no water. There's no land in sight. And we are, you know, I'm feeling my tongue get swollen in my mouth because of the lack of, of water and uh, of drinkable water and, and just and then feeling Everly's um, sense in which she is a, adrift. Adrift. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, so I feel again, you, you burned your bridge behind you and you're, you're off into new, new lands, Patty, as an author. And I am just thinking, I'm so grateful that I had those BFFs, those pretend BFFs in the past, and, and I will want to revisit them. But I'm so grateful that you have taken those leaps and gone to these new places. It's as a reader, I wouldn't do it differently. So I'm so, I'm so grateful. Thank you. And surviving Savannah, I've often been asked if I would have known what it was going to take to write that book, would I still have written it? And depending on the day, the answer changes because that was one heck of a book to research and write. It was 1838. There was no seminal book out there about the wreck. These are women living, not in 1949, where we can do our research, but 1838. And it just was, it was an intense amount of research. And at the same time, it was well, well worth that deep dive into their complicated lives and the way they thought and what was expected of them in that life without, I think what it goes beyond is what you're sort of talking about is to break past the mythology of some of the past and find our way into the truth of how people lived. I interviewed this fascinating woman on my The Backstory of Surviving Savannah podcast, and she has this great phrase she uses called emancipating the past. And I really love that, this idea that if we're going to look at anything truthfully, we have to burst through the mythology of it and emancipate it, free it from the past to look at it in a new way. And that's what I hoped I was doing. Okay. Here is a, for, for, I, I hope this is okay for me to do because not everybody has read Surviving Savannah yet, but I want to ask you a very particular question. Did you do some deep diving where you actually 
experience some of those bizarre things that Everly experiences? Or was that completely magical realism in that passage? I have dive, dove, dive before, but it's been 30 years. So I don't dive now and I haven't in a long while. And I never experienced what she experiences in the book, which is called being narked or narking, which is when um, the oxygen levels drop and you have, you can hallucinate. And so what I did was I had a dear friend who was a very big diver, um, the astounding author, Jocelyn Jackson. I had her read that section and tell me where I had gone astray. I had enough knowledge to get us in the water because I had done it, but I didn't have enough to go a hundred feet deep. So she helped guide that part of the book. Well, I felt like I had had uh, a mystical experience Uh (laughs) having read it because it did feel realistic in the sense of, I believed that you knew of what you wrote. Um, I, I believe that it was really happening, but I also felt like um, there was a little bit of um, freeing of my mind yeah. to, to other um, mystical realities, if you will, that and I am, in her own brain. And I'm constantly fascinated by that, whether it's in the line, the witch in the wardrobe or in um, magical, I love magical realism. And I, I think it's part of why we read, Amy. I mean, this is just a theory of mine. It's not been proven in anything, but I'm convinced that part of why we read is because we know there's something more, right? There's something beyond what we can see. And the very best stories take us there, right? The mythology of stories and the, I don't care whether it's a thriller I don't or Stephen King or a romance, right? We're, we're looking for and feeling for this kind of liminal space between what we see in our real world and what we experience when we're reading. So the more I can take us there, I think the better the story and the more I can take my characters there, the better the story. Right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I, and it's reminding me of the last time I saw you physically in in person was, um, I, I believe was when you were receiving that award for the novel yeah. of the year from the, the Christie award at the ECPA deal. And you read from a poet I hadn't heard of before, but you were addressed and, and it may, maybe you can re- remind me now, but um, I remember you reading this poet and I thought, Oh wow, that is so on brand for who Patty Callahan is. Oh, Patty Callahan, who it was probably John O'Donohue. I do remember that that was right before, it was what, a couple months before the, nope, that was a year later when the world shut down. No, it was, that the was right fall before. before. It was right before. That was in October. And by, you know, March we were, so that was probably one of the last really big things I did with, with a large group of readers and, and writers. And I do remember that I was so stunned that that book, one book of the year that I didn't have a speech prepared. And so I just got up and quoted poetry. Well, you quoted the right poets. (laughs) But, but poetry is really important to me. I'm looking over like past your shoulder, which is nobody else can see. And I have all these poems pinned to my bulletin board and 
Um, there is something about like David White. He says, I want to be courageous in my terrors. I look at something like that on my bulletin board, and then I can look at my page and say, I want to be courageous in my terrors. Like that says more to me, that one line, than half the book I've written. And so poetry has always been, I wouldn't say always, poetry the last 15 to 17 years of my life has been a, a kind of grounding, tethering force when things get a little crazy. Poetry to me is a little bit like, um, so <laughs> this is a strange analogy, but it's like so boiled down into the essence. It's almost like nutritionally dense food, right? So like if you ever, so there's some, some foods that I eat just, you know, like a cracker just to kind of tide me over. But if I really need sustenance, I'm going to have like a smoothie, right? There's something that's I hear nutritionally you. Yeah. And I feel like when I can have a poem that does that for me, it's like, I'm sustained now. I can go forth into the world. But here's a here's another, like a little bit of a twist on that. Because I'm really noticing lately in the last um, three years, I've been very mindful of the tracks on my playlist yes. and how they influence what I'm writing. As you know, I, I do a lot of like ghostwriting and co-writing. And I work really carefully to select the right music to help me stay focused in the research and in, in the mindset of, of that, you know, particular work. And if I go off and start to listen to things that are not in that right space, then I, my mind gets all, it's almost like I scattered, you splintered. know. It's like a splintered self. Like now one self is living over here and one self is living over here. And whenever we have these splintered selves, we can feel unsteady. So I love that. I've, I've done that for sure, but a lot of the music I listen to when I'm writing can't have words. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. but I try to listen to music from that time period that I'm writing about. So, I mean, we know this, Amy, what comes in, comes out, goes in, comes out, right? Whatever is edifying, whatever is, I'm going to mess this up, but yes, whatever is nourishing, what goes in, comes out, whether it's poetry or scripture or music or songs, um, anything or friends. that's our friends. friends or advice or right podcasts. You know, I'm a huge podcast listener and I, I choose wisely what goes in comes out and anything that frazzles me or gets my nervous system frazzled has to go, whether it's music, podcasts, conversations. There's enough of that coming in all over the place right now. So I have to be, like you said, very careful. You were asking me before, because when we met seven or eight years ago, it was right after I had um, finished treatment for breast cancer. And that also is the kind of thing that changes everything. Mm -hmm. That also is the the kind of life experience that set me on a path to write Becoming Mrs. Lewis or to expand because you do realize that what you put in 
becomes who you are. So whether it's the songs, like you said, you were listening to, but also the stories you want to tell and how you want to tell them. I don't want to tell, it's not that I don't want to be courageous in my terrors, like I just said, because we, you and I have talked about this. If we're, if we're not terrified of what we're writing, why bother? But also I don't want, I don't want my nervous system to be, oh my God, oh my God, I can't do it. Oh my God. Like, freaked out all the time. We can't live that way. We just can't live that way. That's right. You know, I just had, um, oh gosh, I'm so excited to tell you about this. So Dr. Kelly McDaniel came in the other day and um, we were talking about on, on the podcast, talking about her book, Mother Hunger. I'll send you a copy. I'll send you a copy of this book. Um, but she was talking about with, with her writing cohort, Michelle Mays, they, they will sit together and write and she said, and she's a therapist, she was talking about it helps their nervous systems co-regulate. And she said, we calm each other and we stimulate each other. And this is biologically happening. It's called mirroring. Peers. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and I was like, oh, <laughs> that's such a great tip for writers, right? That's yes. such a great tip. Choose wisely your friends, your music, who you're sharing things with. Because you and I are looking at each other right now and we're we're in it, right? But we're not splintered or fragmented or frazzled. And so choosing that is a, it's, you're right. Well, whatever it takes, Patty, for you to stay on the path that you're on of continuing to just elevate the craft, if you need to call me and have me co-regulate a little bit with you, you are, my line is open to you anytime, girl, because you are doing such great work. And I'm just so, so pleased with the books that I've read of yours. And I'm so, I'm so looking forward to wardrobe. Um, once yeah. upon a wardrobe, I can't, I, I haven't gotten an advanced copy as many people <gasps> as I know over there. It is ridiculous, but that's fine. I will I, make sure you get one tomorrow. You will have well, one in the mail tomorrow. I would love that. You know, Fleet and I always buy two copies because I know. we have to, I'm co- not worried about you buying time. We always I'm have to read worried. it at the same time so we can talk about it. So that's fun. Um, and that's awesome. um, so we're so, we're so Proud to have you on the Writer Fest podcast, and I know once we have this new grandbaby, we'll be back together again yeah. in 2022, right? Yes, we'll bring you back. To I can make a solemn promise that we will be there in 2022. <gasps> oh, and so I happy. feel so lucky that I was at the inaugural Writer Fest. So good. I'm so grateful to you for doing that. I remember it's going to just grow like mad. It's, it's going to grow like mad. Well, already it. the ticket sales are hopping. So we're, I think this is going to be an amazing year. We're going to have a great time. So we will, I'll FaceTime you. Okay. And so I can see the baby. Okay. <laughs> and I am honored to be on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, we really me. enjoyed it so much. So thanks. Bye, Patty. You've been listening to the Writer Fest podcast. For more information, See writerfestnashville.com and follow us on our socials.